Hello and welcome to probably the greatest podcast ever made, Disenfranchised. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and I am the guy, one of the guys that talks about those franchises of one, those films that fancied themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. Uh, And along with me, the guy that does that with me week after week, uh, well, I have it on good authority that he just got back from spending the summer with his uncle up in Alaska hunting wolverines with a 12-gauge. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hi, Steven. What are you going to do today, Brett? Uh, honestly, today I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap today. I know you wanted to do a bit there. I just want to take a nap correct, right now. <laughs> the correct answer is whatever I feel like doing. Gosh, is sure, the correct yeah. answer. No, no, I know. I know. Okay. <laughs> as long as you know. You I said, ruined the bit. I'm sorry. You know there was a bit being set up and then you just, you just said, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, basically. That's, that's fine. I guess that's fine. <laughs> And joining us today to talk about this mo- this mystery film, whatever could it be that we're talking about today, uh, is my very good friend. And uh, you might know him from uh, some of his independent uh, pop punk recordings with the EP3s. Uh, it is Sean Rose. Hi, Sean. Hello, Stephen and Brad. How are you guys doing today? Very well. What are you good. doing today, Sean? Whatever I feel like. Gosh. See, that's there that's we how go. Done. See, this is why we have guests. <laughs> that's how it's done. <laughs> uh. What Sean, do you even think? This was this was a movie I probably would not have even considered talking about until you basically on Facebook just kind of said, fine, I'll talk about Napoleon Dynamite on your podcast. And I went, yeah, okay, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those films that just, it just, it gets to you. And, you know, sometimes it gets under your skin. Sometimes it just is like a, a soothing balm on your skin. Uh, and it just it just occurs to me that we have not even set up. The, this is what kind of episode it's going to be. I just I just have a feeling I've not even set up the <laughs> film. Brett, what film are we covering this week? Oh, we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite, Stephen Gosh. <laughs> there it is. There, we there go. it is. It. We got it. it. Hey, he uh, did it, everybody. He I did, did it. it. I did it's it. a walk off. <laughs> uh, we are talking about 2004's Napoleon Dynamite, directed by Jared Hess, written by Jared and his wife, Jerusha Hess, starring John Heater, John Grease, Aaron Rule, Efren Ramirez, Dietrich Bader, Tina Majorino, Sandy Martin, Haley Duff, Trevor Snar, and Chandrella Avery. What a cast of uh, people that most of us probably haven't heard of. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we're talking about uh, Napoleon Dynamite, the little indie that could, Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, so, Sean, this again, this is a movie that I because you and I are such good friends. I know you have loved this movie pretty much since you heard about this movie. Um, what is your familiarity with this movie? When did you see this movie? Uh, how frequently do you revisit this movie? What does this movie mean to you? Just go off on Napoleon Dynamite for a little bit. So it came out in 2004, at which point I was a sophomore in college and some friends of mine at school were, were talking about it. And of course, they. They were doing some of the bits, some of the gosh, you know, an idiot and things like that. And I didn't really get it. And, you know, the punk rocker and he's like, oh, if it's trendy, I'm not interested. <laughs> so my brother became marginally obsessed with the film. And, and your brother was, is not one to be overly effusive about just about anything. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Uh, so. It actually was several years after it came out that I finally saw it. I think I saw it in 2007 on DVD at home in front of my computer. 
back when my computer would still play DVDs. And I popped it in and I watched it. And then I watched it again. Like just immediately after? Immediately after. As soon as it was over, I started it again and I watched it two times all the way through in one sitting. Wow. It just spoke to me. (laughs) And as I was reviewing it yesterday, it, it occurred to me that a lot of it reminded me of my my own middle school years so the way that the that their high school was set up with the tile floors and the lockers and the food that they were eating in the cafeteria and the awkwardness of well essentially everybody it was very much reminiscent of my own middle school experience so perhaps that's what drew me in so much okay interesting Interesting. And and I, I'm assuming this is a movie that you now own on uh, oh, yes. Blu-ray or DVD. I do. I do. Although yesterday I streamed it uh, via Hulu. Um, yeah. But yes, I do. I do own it. It's been it's been a few years since I've watched it. But after that initial viewing in 2007, uh, the initial double viewing in 2007, it was a it was a, a, a regular film that I would that I would go back and watch. Uh, couple of times a year, maybe, uh, maybe more. In fact, there was one day at work, I worked with my brother and somehow we took a very long lunch break and watched Napoleon Dynamite at work. That and surprises me not at all. <laughs> it, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. All right. Good deal. Uh, so I, I see we could have probably picked no better person to come on and talk about this movie with, uh, with us. So, you know, I don't have Napoleon Dynamite paraphernalia around my room. Um, or in my studio is just kind of where we are right now. But I just, I just love the film. It's just, it's just a, a it's just a, a feel good movie in that awkward kind of way. Um, but again, I spent a lot of my years feeling awkward. I haven't grown out of that. Uh, I don't even know what else to say at this point. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's wonderful. That's fine. Great. Brett, uh, have, have you seen this movie before? What is what it was your exposure to, to the great Napoleon dynamite? Um, yeah. What, what, tell, tell us a little bit about your history with this movie. Um, I had sort of a similar history in that it, you know, it was this cultural phenomenon that I was just like, I don't really, it's way too popular. I don't want to really watch this and it doesn't look like I'd like, I'd like it anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't think I saw it until many years later. I don't even remember when I saw it the first time, but I remember enjoying it. And honestly, I, I enjoyed it this the second watch through. Um, I don't think I'd seen it since the first time I watched the, it. This is only the second time that you've seen Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, because um, I, I remember thinking, you know, it was, it was good. It was it was better than I thought it was going to be, but not one I'd go back and revisit a lot, you know. Fair enough. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I by watching it again this time, I, I get a lot of the same sort of like feelings of nostalgia for how I was when I was, you know, in middle school and high school and the, the awkwardness, cause God knows I was that awkward. Uh, so, so I related a lot to it. I, I still, to this day, don't understand the cultural phenomenon surrounding this movie, but you know, Hey, I guess it resonated with a lot of people in the same way. So, uh, sure. Uh, see, I, my experience with this, I think differs from your guys's in one key way. In that I was like really excited to see Napoleon Dynamite. 
when it when it like came out like because i had seen the ads for it all my friends were talking about it and it had that monty python and the holy grail kind of feel in that i could probably recite the whole movie before i ever saw the movie because of just how ubiquitous all of the quotes from that movie were and how just everyone was talking about that movie uh and so i didn't i also did not see it until it came out on dvd but like i saw it like right when it came out on dvd like i was excited to see it and a couple uh, one of my friends bought it on dvd and we had um during open dorms which is when the only time when guys were allowed in girls dorms on my very conservative christian college campus um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned before on this podcast that I had a, a fairly conservative Christian upbringing. No, I don't. I don't think you've ever mentioned it. Have you? That's weird. Cause it feels like, it feels like that being such a big part of my, my upbringing that would, that would come into play on this. Uh, I don't know. It, Maybe it doesn't, it doesn't sound right. I don't think you have. Okay. All right. Well, in any case that, you know, very conservative campus, it was the only time that, you know, guys were allowed in girls dorms and vice versa. So we got together for open dorms with a bunch of friends. We watched Napoleon Dynamite and I was really excited. And I remember about 30 minutes in going, is this it? <laughs> like, when does it get awesome? When does it get like really, 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 really funny? Like everyone was telling me that it was. And I ended up being really disappointed by this movie because I remember expecting it to be like this kind of comedy game changer. And it, kind of wasn't uh at least not that i perceived uh and so i never i didn't watch it in full i was a youth pastor for a few years and it was a popular uh choice amongst the uh, uh the youth for during that time uh so i i watched snippets of it then but i would i was always fairly vocal about my dislike for the film uh and then i watched it in full uh earlier today in preparation for this podcast and uh Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I watched it again. So yeah. It was a I movie you saw. I still, I still don't get it. Like it, I don't think this is my humor. In fact, I don't think Jared Hess is my brand of, of comedy for, for good or ill. Um, like I've seen snippets of Nacho Libre, which is his direct follow-up to this movie. Um, and then I don't think I've seen really any of the other stuff that he's done. Um, he directed uh, a film called Gentleman Broncos, uh, something called Don Verdine, which I don't even know what that is. And then in 2016, he did a movie called Masterminds, which I think is that Kristen Wiig, Zach Galifianakis were criminals kind of movie that like sat on a shelf for years and years before finally coming out. It's got, Owen Wilson in it, um, Jason Sudeikis. So yeah, that's a movie that exists. But I, I after yeah, I'm just I don't know. Jared Hess, not my speed, I guess as a as a filmmaker. I uh, I like I like Nacho Libre. I I know a lot of people did. I know Jack Black was uh, originally tapped to play Rex in this movie, but wasn't able to. Um, so they ended up with uh, Dietrich Bader, who I think is great. I like Dietrich Vader a lot. We'll probably have a, I'll probably do a whole Dietrich Vader sidebar in this movie. Uh, Cause this is the kind of thing he was doing in the early two thousands where he'd just show up in an indie movie and be like the best part of it for like 10 minutes and then just disappear. Uh, he did that in Mike judge's office space. Like that was just kind of his thing that he did around this time. But, uh, but yeah, Napoleon dynamite. Um, 
let's let's get into it. Let's get into the plot of this movie. It's time. It's time to do the plot in sixty seconds, uh, in which uh, one of us, in this case, our special guest Sean Rose, will uh, recount the plot of Napoleon Dynamite, uh, such as it is, in sixty seconds or less. Uh, Sean, are you ready to recount the plot of Napoleon Dynamite? I am prepared to recount the happenings in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, not much of a plot in this movie at all. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got 60 seconds on the clock, and we will start whenever you are ready, sir. Okay. So Napoleon Dynamite follows the misadventures of Napoleon Dynamite. A awkward junior, senior in high school, perhaps, who has a brother many years older than him. They live with their grandmother. Long story long, their grandmother got in a four-wheeling accident. So Uncle Rico comes to take care of them for a, a an undetermined amount of time. And he is trying to figure out ways to make money. So he and, he and Kip, uh, Napoleon's brother, sell things such as um, Tupperware-type containers and breast augmentation supplements so you can imagine how that goes kip was also looking for his soulmate which he found a a very tall 10 voluptuous uh african-american woman named lafonda so there is no way to do this in 60 seconds and, and that's, that's time. it <laughs> okay so essentially long story long as i said Napoleon is an awkward teenager and he tries to find his way through a short amount of time in high school as the as the director has decided that this would the timeline for the film and all the way from meeting girls to being rejected by girls to drawing pictures of girls to finally really not coming into his own just remaining awkward the whole time. Yep. There, there is no hope for any of us, and uh, we are all destined to be awkward forever. Yeah, but he did have a good suit from Goodwill in the end. Yeah, that apparently, according to the deleted scenes in the movie, he bought for twelve dollars. So yeah, there you go. That that's the thing that that's the thing that happens. So yeah, this movie is just like one, like a, a, it's very vignette. It's like one thing after another. Like this happens, mm-hmm. and then this happens, and then this happens. And I guess the through line is the relationship between Napoleon and Pedro and the relationship. I guess this is, it seems like more of a character study than a movie um, because it's, it's really focused on the characters and their individual moments, not even so much arcs because these characters don't change really from beginning to end. It's just kind of how they react to stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, very little, very little going on in this movie overall, I would say. Especially in terms of cognitive or emotional development. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there isn't really much of that. Uh, I think I think Napoleon figures out maybe toward the end that Deb is kind of into him and that he's kind of into Deb. So I think that took that took a bit of maturation on his part to kind of lean into that potential relationship. And if there was a sequel, that would certainly play a part, but perhaps I'm getting ahead of us now. Maybe, maybe I, 
I feel like the audience knows just because of the way it's coded within the context of the film that Napoleon Deb are going to Napoleon and Deb, excuse me. I guess that's their celebrity couple name, Napoleon Deb. Okay. Um, <laughs> Napoleon and Deb are kind of destined to be with one another. You can tell they kind of have this, they're awkward in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when she says yes to Pedro asking her out, first of all, you find out that Pedro asked her out and then that she said yes to Pedro asking her out literally within a minute of footage. Um, mm-hmm. it, it like less than like, he's like, I asked Deb out what? And then she comes up with the note, slides it across the table. He opens it. It says, yes, he turns it upside down. So it says, yes, the right way up. Like that's like, that is that thing happening. And you yeah. can tell Napoleon's kind of like miffed about it, but like he didn't ask her. So what can he do about it? Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm which is that kind of awkward, your buddy asks out the girl you kind of like, but you didn't have the guts to do it. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm, been there. <laughs> Tale as old as time. I'm, I'm, you know, song as old as rhyme. Friend. And are we the- still talking about Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's friend and the girl that you were going to ask out, but didn't have the guts to ask out anyway. So mm-hmm. story of my high school. I didn't right. go to prom, not because I was too punk rock. That's what I would have said at the time. Sure. I didn't go to prom because I didn't think anybody would say yes to my request. True story. Uh, I got asked to prom on my way to ask someone else to prom. And I was so <laughs> awkward. I just said yes. Um, <laughs> like, cause I was just like, well, here's the thing. I'm about to ask somebody else and they're probably not going to say yes. So here's someone who's actually asking me to prom. So if I say yes to this person, at least I know I have a date. Uh, it didn't end well. <laughs> yes. It, with a set, set up like that, I can't imagine why. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Geo wonder. Um, Brett, any fun prom stories? <laughs> it, uh, not really. No. <laughs> Since we're all I mean, apparently talking about our I mean, my, mine was interesting too, I suppose, because I was dating uh, a girl long distance, kind of. She lived in Southern Indiana. Didn't go to my high school though. Uh, so I didn't ask anybody from my high school. I just, you know, asked the girl i was dating long distance and she came up and we went and had a fun time i guess oh yay yeah so so that legitimized your claim of oh you don't know where she goes to another school (laughs) every time i used it i had nothing to fall back on so yeah no no i when i said that it was true wow so did she have nice did she have nice bangs she did actually yeah sleeves no no not big Uh, sleeves no sorry that's a bummer so the the fashion the art design in this film are super bizarre Mm -hmm. and in fact if not for all of the repeated references to the internet i would swear this movie takes place in the late 80s early 90s you know i was having that same conversation with my wife last night as we were watching this as 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 the movie opened napoleon's looking at his trapper keeper i absolutely had that exact trapper keeper Mm -hmm. And I absolutely had those folders, but this was in the mid nineties. So to your point, Stephen, yes, with all the internet references and things like that, you go, when is this film set? Is it supposed to be early nineties or is it present day? Or is this just what Idaho is like? When apparently <laughs> when asked, uh, when asked when the movie was set, Jared Hess's uh, go-to response was always Idaho. So apparently <laughs> This is what Idaho is like. I don't know. This is my only exposure to a film set in Idaho. So Mm. I'm going to assume, hey, if we have any listeners from Idaho, please let us know if this is what your state is like, 
disenfranchpod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at disenfranchpod. Please let us know. I would love to be able to clarify how accurate is Napoleon Dynamite in depicting early 2000s Idaho life. Also, do you have a lot of pet llamas that you just feed? Yeah. Do you, do you keep tater tots in a pocket and then eat them cold throughout the day? There were there are moments in this movie where I kind of like had to retch a little bit just because the things that were happening were so disgusting. Like the, the eating the cold tater tots out of his pocket. I was like, that is disgusting. And I thought it would probably be the most disgusting part of the movie uh, until we get to the lunch scene at the chicken farm, which oh. I think might be one of the most disgusting scenes ever put to film. Um, Agreed. There is sure. a there is a jug of sun tea, uh, literally filled with raw eggs. Ugh. And you can tell they're not fresh raw eggs because the <laughs> yolks are yellow and not orange, which farm fresh eggs would have bright orange yolks. Uh, these are like muddy yellow. So obviously uh, these are not the fresh eggs that they've been picking that day. These are ones that have kind of been sitting around for a little while. Uh, maybe ones that have already gone through the, uh, the pasteurization process, perhaps. Uh, but just the, and you see him literally crack a whole egg, just in case you're wondering what that liquid in the, in the sun tea jar is, he cracks a whole egg in, stirs it up, sips it and goes, yep, that's about good. Then there's a bowl of hard boiled eggs <laughs> and a plate of what I can only assume are egg salad sandwiches covered in flies. <laughs> and it's, a, you, you, you are given every indication that it is a very warm day. Uh, and I'm just like, I can't even find the humor in that. Cause I'm just so like, my stomach is just churning. Just thinking about that. Like looking at that kid, just taking a huge bite of what I can only assume is like a warm, hard boiled egg. Ugh. No, thank oh. you. No, thank you. I hope the, the listeners are not eating right now. I hope they are. <laughs> I don't know why you had to re-describe that entire scene just now but thank you I you're, threw up in my mouth a little you're welcome that's honestly that's exactly why I did it Brett that's I needed that kind I needed you to share in my revulsion with me uh, I, I already mean, did I'll, when I watched it I'm assuming you were revulsed but I needed to make sure by recounting the entire scene beat for beat and all of that for a dollar an hour <laughs> oh. yeah, no thank you I mean, I have, I've done, I've assisted on a farm before. Um, it's, uh, it's very hard work. I can tell you the meals that we, that we got at the end of the day were much better than that. Uh, there was like a giant cookout, a campfire, like it was great. Um, and then I got paid 50 bucks too, on top of it, which I mean, given a full day's labor at a farm, not great, but still, you know, it better than I would have made staying at home. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, and it is, it's, it's tough work. And I wasn't working with animals. I was just bailing hay. So, mm -hmm. and moving hay bales from one place to another place. So, but yeah. And that wasn't even in Idaho. That was in Indiana. So mm. what are you going to do? Um, so yeah, this, there's, there's not a lot going on in this movie. Apparently Jared Hess had made a, cause I'm looking at this character, Napoleon Dynamite. And the whole time I'm thinking this has to be based on like a character that John Heater came up with that he did for Jared Hess and Jared Hess thought it was really funny or something. Like mm -hmm. I, I had, I had a hard time thinking this was something that was created whole cloth just for this movie. Apparently the character is based on uh, a character from 
Jared Hess's short film called Palooka uh, from 2003. Uh, it was a student film with a budget of approximately $500 uh, shot for two days, shot in two days on grainy black and white 16 millimeter film in Pres- Preston, Idaho, which is where this movie also is, is shot. Um, and pretty much the only actor that was not local uh, to the area was John Heater. Uh, who plays a character named Seth, who is apparently very similar to Napoleon. So apparently you give him a, like a crazier name uh, and that, I don't know, I guess that makes it funnier that he's, he's got a funny name. I don't know. The name is what gets people in the door. And then his, his wild and crazy antics is are what keep you there. Maybe. Well, what, what a name Napoleon dynamite. I it mean, is a it good name. Just, it does. It's like a lasso around your neck. Uh, apparently um, was a name that, and the filmmakers apparently didn't know this, was a name that uh, Elvis Costello used as a pseudonym for a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, apparently they didn't know that until they were actually filming the movie. Uh, I have trouble home. believing they didn't know that. That is such a strange name. I don't know, man. There's all sorts of things that 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 you just don't know until you know them. You know, I, I suppose that's kind of like being married. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, it's a lot like that. A lot of things you don't know till you know them and then you know them and you can't unknow them. Um, <laughs> I got Steven. I got, Steven. I got Steven real bad with that one. <laughs> just the, the, the wry harshness of that. Ah, uh, just, Oh, yep. Uh, by the way, my uh, 14-year wedding anniversary is this Wednesday. Congratulations, man. Congrats. Thanks. 14 years. We had, I was there. You were in my wedding, weren't you? I was. How kind of you to remember. In fact, that was the year that I discovered Napoleon Dynamite. So really, it was a, it was a very, very significant year. <laughs> I mean, the wedding happened, yes, but Napoleon Dynamite. Too. <laughs> but more importantly, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just it just goes to the overall just largeness of 2004 as a year. Um yep. oh, <laughs> uh, let's talk John Heater for a second. Uh, because this movie is the one, I mean, he is the really the one to kind of come out of this movie. Um him and he and Jared Hess are the two that come out of this movie with any kind of staying power at all. He had basically just done like some short films up to this point. He played a character called audience member in a, in a 2000 short uh, called the wrong brother. Hmm. Uh, he was also officer Hardy in a short called funky town. Uh, and then he was in the Jared Hess short Palooka. Um, and this is his very first not only his first starring role, but his first film period, like his first mm. feature length film altogether uh, from there. Like he goes pretty far, pretty fast. He yeah. is in just like heaven in 2005. Uh, he's uh, in a, a film called the Sasquatch gang, which I've never heard of in 2006, but also probably more importantly, the bench warmers in 2006 uh, a, a movie that is actually back on that shelf there. That is a movie that my wife owns. 
Um, he is in, he's a voice in Monster House. He's in the film School for Scoundrels, opposite, um, what's the guy's name? Billy Bob Thornton. Blades of Glory, opposite Will Ferrell. Uh, and then he does uh, the voice of Chicken Joe in Surf's Up. And then he kind of starts to slip a little bit and starts to kind of show up less and less. Um, he's in something called Moving McAllister, Mama's Boy. He's in an episode of My Name is Earl. Uh, does a TV show called Woke Up Dead, where I'm assuming he wakes up dead. That's, might, that's, that's very likely. Might need to fact check that one. Um, right. But like just starts kind of showing up in less and less prominent fare and then will show up as napoleon dynamite in things like he plays he comes shows up on as napoleon dynamite on an episode of late night with jimmy fallon in 2012 i would assume to promote the animated napoleon dynamite show that aired on fox for literally six episodes all of which are currently streaming on hulu uh which is the closest this movie ever came to a sequel um and just he does he just kind of shows up in things now but like he had like a run of like three years there where they hollywood really was trying to make john heater into like a comedic presence and it just didn't quite work out and i don't know i don't did any anyone have any strong feelings about john heater as a performer i mean where do you go from napoleon dynamite and what i mean is his his character is so unique Right. I mean, it's that that really awkward, you know, kind of uncomfortable in his own skin, maybe a little bit learns to dance and all these different things that he kind of, again, misadventures, although the dance turned out OK in the end. But, you know, how it, it, it's, it's it's not exactly slapstick. You know, he's not really the straight guy. He's not really the the uh, um, Jim Carrey or, or, you know, the the very overly animated facial stuff and all of the, all of the different things that, that one might say about a, a, a comedian like that. So in, in a way, to me, it's almost a kind of a new, a new type of, of humor, um, kind of pulling from people's experiences, maybe more than, than that expectation. And then, changing the expectation or, or the, the adjustment or whatever, whatever that, that equation is in comedy that makes something funny to us. I Just think a thought. No, I think you're onto something there because that always kind of seems to be the thing like Hollywood. And this is something that comes up in this podcast a lot is that Hollywood tends to be very reactionary, like whatever the next big thing is, they're like, okay, well, we need to duplicate and replicate that thing. Um, but there is something really difficult to put one's finger on when it comes to the Napoleon dynamite phenomenon, because it's not really quantifiable in that same way. It's like, well, it's just a movie about a guy who does stuff and it looks like it's set in a different time period. And you get things similar to that around this time frame. Uh, I mean, you get movies like, um, well, you would uh, kind of already had, I think the movie garden state, which had come out, uh, it comes out the same year, which kind of has, but it's a lot more dramatic and a lot less funny, um, despite being, you know, written and directed by the guy from Scrubs, uh, the big goofball guy from Scrubs, not terribly funny, uh, a lot of, a lot of very, uh, what's uh, very earnest 
kind of uh, hyperbole. Are you ready to hear the greatest song you'll ever hear in your life? That kind of thing. Uh, you get the movie uh, Juno a few years later in 2007, uh, which has kind of a similar feel, but the dialogue is like razor sharp. Like it's got this really very sharp biting wit to it that this movie just doesn't have. It's not very witty. It's just kind of people talking. And when I first saw it, my major criticism of the film was it felt like all of the comedy. The only thing missing from the comedy was the actors looking directly into camera and going, do you get that? That was pretty funny, right? You like that? (laughs) Because we got more of this. Like it just felt very try hard in a way that was I don't know. That didn't really appeal to me. And maybe that was an unfair criticism at the time. Um, It certainly feels like an unfair criticism now um, because there are moments that I legitimately chuckled at, like um, where he's making like the plate of nachos by grating an entire log (laughs) of processed American cheese onto a plate of nacho chips. And then like they're talking and you cut back to Napoleon for a second and you cut back and there's like a little bit of cheese on top and you cut back to Napoleon again and you cut back and there's like a mountain of grated cheese all of a sudden out of nowhere. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. Like realistically, that makes absolutely no sense, but like, it doesn't, it, it almost feels like it doesn't really match the tone. And it's one of those, like, there are so many details in this movie, like these small things that these characters are doing that are, flat out ridiculous but you almost don't notice them because everything else surrounding it is so ridiculous it's really hard to like what what ridiculous thing am i supposed to be laughing at here mm-hmm. um i i was gonna say that it this, this gives me wes anderson vibes i don't know if you guys feel the same this like this feels very much like wes anderson light it's that's fair it's that same sort of dry humor dry irreverent humor but like it just it doesn't fully get there all the way it's trying and it does in some cases but it doesn't that makes a lot of sense because i don't really care for wes anderson either that makes a lot of sense then whereas i do i really like wes anderson sure well i and i mean there's one wes anderson film that i that i legitimately love which is the royal tenenbaums but everything else i'm just kind of like when it comes to wes anderson like i just don't get the appeal uh, so maybe, maybe that, that actually, you say that, and I definitely see the similarities. This feels like, like you said, like a light version, L-I-T-E version of Wes Anderson, who is already like gossamer thin anyway. Like, it, I feel like if I touch a Wes Anderson movie, it'll just crumble like under the weight of my finger. Like those movies feel so slight. I know they're not, but they certainly just, that's the the image I get in my head of them. You know, as I as I think about the as I think about the different characters, specifically I'm thinking about Napoleon, I'm thinking about Kip, and I'm thinking about Uncle Rico. Um, the dynamite I feel family. like what's that? The dynamite family. Yes, yes. Well, for sure. I think Uncle Rico's lines and his scenes and his the humor that his character brings to it is probably the most comprehensive and complete to me. Like you understand why it's funny. You know, he's throwing the footballs because he wants to go back so he can get in, in the game and win state and then go pro and sit in a, be in a big old mansion somewhere and soaking it up with him in a hot tub with my soulmate. Like his, and I think a lot of that is both, I think it's in the writing, first of all, but it's also in 
John Grease performance, which I think is maybe one of my favorite performances in the movie. One of the few performances that I'm like, that's a really good performance. Like John Grease, and he was an actor I knew before this movie. Um, sorry, I'm 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 hijacking your point. I'm sorry, Sean. Keep going. No, that's okay. I I you know just it like I said his his scenes and his when he throws the stake in Napoleon's face and it 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 just it makes sense it's 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 satisfying his scenes are satisfying in 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 maybe ways that some of the other character scenes are not if you're not kind of in that space and i think one of the things that makes it so funny makes the film so funny is simply watching napoleon's reactions or responses to these different situations his face his his body language the deadpan so much of it or making up words, decroted piece of crap, you know, and then just simply the awkwardness in general. And another scene I'm thinking about is when LaFonda gives Kip that, that great big eagle necklace or whatever it is. And, you know, he's rubbing her foot with his toe that's inside of this horrendous looking, disgusting sock. And, you know, they, they keep, kind of winking at each other and their their eyebrows are going up and down and it's just profoundly uncomfortable to watch <laughs> but i think that's part of what makes it so funny is that we've all either been there or seen people doing it and i think it, it resonates in a in a in, in that sense maybe that that uncle rico scenes don't but but are more satisfying uh, in a in a comedy kind of way potentially i yeah, I like I like the Uncle Rico scene. I think uh, the Uncle Rico scenes. I'm sorry, he is like I said, probably my favorite performer in the film. Well, him and Dietrich Bader because I just like Dietrich Bader and just about everything Dietrich Bader does. Um, but he's like he seems to have a pretty firm grasp, and he is, I would say, probably the most tenured actor in the film. Uh, he had been working as an actor since. 1967 uh, at least in films um but he has such credits to his name as uh the jeffersons he was in an episode of the jeffersons he was in a little uh movie called real genius uh he's in a little movie called terror vision uh running scared uh brett i know you'll appreciate this monster squad hey, hey uh, all right potential future episode monster squad um, I know him predominantly from a show that ran in the late nineties called the pretender, uh, which was about a guy who was raised in a lab and uh, could pretty much pretend to do anything. And so he would just like blend in. And there was, he, John Grease was one of the organization that was like trying to find him every episode. Uh, and so I, I loved it. So ever since then, he had been Brutes to me because that was his character on that show. And so when he shows up in Napoleon Dynamite, oh, it's Brutes. Brutes is in this movie. And then everyone started calling him Uncle Rico. And I'm like, his name is Brutes. And you put some respect on it. Um, <laughs> you know, you do you do not call him Uncle Rico. He was he is he was Brutes first and he was Brutes best. Um, but he was I think uh, I read that he was at a point before he made this movie that he was ready to just kind of quit acting altogether. Uh, and and just kind of walk away. He hadn't really done anything meaningful in a while. And um, he got hired on to do a movie called The Big Empty and was doing uh, some scenes while Jared Hess was editing, like in the same area and kind of walked in and saw 
John Grease, and they're like, well, that's Uncle Rico right there. So they like literally called him, sent him the scraps, and his agent was like, I don't know. I've never heard of these guys before. What's what's the deal? And he's like, no, I want to do it. And so he ended up doing the film and it kind of gave his career kind of a little more juice. Uh, and he's still uh, still acting from what I can see here. Uh, yeah, it's got some stuff coming out later this year. So, I mean, nothing, nothing big, nothing major. I mean, this is probably the biggest movie. Uh, I won't say the biggest movie he's ever done because he was also the van driver in a little movie called Men in Black. Um, but probably hmm. the movie he is most commonly recognized for. That makes sense. Yeah. But um, I mean, I like, I like John Grease. I think he's great. I think he, and he's the character I find most believable out of all of these, where I feel like a lot of these actors are just kind of putting on these, you know, funny voices and doing these funny characters. He's got enough pathos, like the scene where they're sitting on the, the porch eating steak and he's talking about, you know, his dreams and, he's too stupid to know that time travel is not scientifically possible. And his nephew's such a liar that he'll tell him that it is, even though it clearly is not. And Rico's such an idiot. He'll go along with it and hook himself up to a shot collar, you know, because <laughs> his nephew says it's a time machine. Um, but that's, I mean, that all these people are idiots. Um, but I feel like they're one of the underlying themes, and I don't know if this is intentional, is that so many of these people in this movie are unable or unwilling to accept reality for what it is. Um, like Napoleon and Kip both, or Napoleon's got this very rich fantasy life that he's uh, crafted for himself about, you know, these f- tall tales that he'll tell. Kip, who is obsessed with the people that he meets online. Um, <laughs> and And Uncle Rico, who's so stuck in the past that, he's un- unable to really craft a, a, f- a feasible present or future for himself. Um, like these people are just kind of unwilling to accept reality. Um, and, and even I would say to some degree, Pedro, uh, who's like, you know, new kid at a new school. Hey, I'll ask out the most popular girl in school and then run for class president. Why not? Like, it just seems like there's this like disconnection from reality with all these characters. And I don't know if that's intentional. I feel like if it is intentional, it needs to be kind of driven home a little more because it all kind of seems very ethereal and very kind of, it wasn't something I picked up on until this watch. And I'm like, these people are all demented and deluded. Like they're, do they know what reality is? Uh, and if, it, if it's intentional, it's genius. And this is like maybe the best movie ever made. If it's not intentional and if it's not intentional, then it's really coincidental. Either way, I can't tell. And I don't know. I feel like it should be intentional, but I, I, again, this movie is so Wes Anderson light that I don't know if, if it is or not, I can't really put my finger down on it. Yeah. I hadn't really considered that before. Um, You know, protesting reality is, is a coping mechanism uh, for sometimes trauma or sometimes things like that. Of course, now I'm pulling from my education in clinical mental health counseling, but. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thanks. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, So yeah, that's an interesting point. I I don't really have anything to say about that right now, but as as the next time I watch it, I might kind of consider that. I mean, with uncle Rico, it's obvious, you know, he's, he's unwilling to grieve the loss that he had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with Kip, I think he's unwilling to grieve the fact that he's, you know, 32 years old and still living at home, 
with braces with, with his grandma with braces <laughs> uh you know and and napoleon you know i, I would have to to, to kind of watch again and, and kind of interact with what his mental and emotional issues might be <laughs> other than you know awkward teenager right right which we can all relate sure but yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's just, I don't know, there's, there seems a, a break from reality. And again, I don't know if that's the Idaho of it all, or if there's <laughs> something else going on there. Um, because again, these characters seem at once very real and very grounded, but at the same time, like completely over the top and unrealistic. Like there's this very fine line that they somehow managed to to ride that, and again, I don't, I don't understand it. I wish I did. I wish I was able to like wrap my head around this movie. I wish I found this movie as funny as everyone else. Let me just say that. Like, I really wish I loved this movie because it would save me so much heartbreak in so many ways. Um, but as it stands, like, this is not a movie I'm really crazy about, but it, it's a movie. I, I think I understand why people like it, um, but it's just not my cup of tea. Um is as I think kind of where I land on Napoleon Dynamite overall. And the more I think about it, the, the more I, I see kind of both sides of the awkwardness being represented. So on the one hand, you've got Napoleon, you've got Kip, you've got Pedro, you've got these different people and they're awkward in social situations. But then you have Haley Duff's character, mm. um, Summer, and her boyfriend or whatever he is that looks like our former youth pastor, by the way. He, he looks like he's 40 in high school. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to come back to that point, too, but keep going. <laughs> and and Trish, Trisha, who Napoleon asked to dance, you know, so you, you've got both the awkward people interacting with the not so awkward people. And then you've got the not so awkward people responding to these awkward people. And you kind of see the tension that exists for both of them. Mm-hmm. And until just this moment, I hadn't really considered that point. That you get that, like, Trisha feels compelled to go with Napoleon, even though he is. Um, a hot mess uh, in the parlance of our times um, because of her mother feeling sorry for him based on these nonsensical stories shared with her by uncle Rico. Again, speaking of breaks from reality, um, uncle Rico just makes up this wild story about Napoleon and, and she buys it and is like, Oh, you're taking that boy to the dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you feel, when when summer gives pedro his or gives napoleon the note to go with pedro or that she's not going to go to the dance with pedro there's a little bit of it feels like there's a little bit of empathy to that moment oddly like she's a human character like i it would feel awful and mean if at the end of this movie like summer wheatley got her comeuppance because i don't feel like she's done anything wrong. Like usually mm-hmm. in this movie, the popular kids are like painted as this kind of, you know, the, the acceptable evil uh, that we, we as society has propped up um, that the underdog must overcome. And that's not this movie at all. Like she's a human character who is dating somebody and gets asked by the weird new kid if she wants to go to the dance. And she seems pretty empathetic that I'm going to have to tell him no. And even though there are like four exclamation points at the end of that, no, the dot on every one of them is a little heart. Mm-hmm. I think there might even be a smiley face inside the, inside the, the O maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but like, it seems like she's happily telling him no, 
which I don't know, mm-hmm. may feels like it might be salt in the wound a little bit. Yeah. But, but by this, you know, I feel like they're not, usually those characters are painted as kind of net bad. And I, at least, at least with Trisha and Summer, I don't think that's the case. The guys on the other hand, I think get a lot less sympathy, like the bully character. I, one of the moments I legitimately laughed through in this watch through, and there weren't many, but one of the ones where I like, I got a legitimate laugh is where he's, the, the bully is beating up that smaller, nerdier kid and Pedro's cousins pull up in the low rider, which has vote for Pedro and like bright, shiny letters on the door. And it just stops and does the like low ride thing. And he looks over and the guy just shakes his head. Like that's enough. Just, just that, like that tough shaking his head at the bully and the bully just kind of like backing down that, that was enough to make me laugh just because the, again, it's the incongruity of the thing that I found so ridiculous and then Summer's boyfriend is just painted as an idiot. Like <laughs> he's not really good or bad. He's just dumb, just aggressively dumb. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's my my feelings on Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, I think we've gotten a little deeper into Napoleon Dynamite than I expected to get today. So that's that's something. <laughs> yeah, look, man, you brought up some very interesting points that I never would have thought of. So it, it's it's a lot to think about, man. I, man, you're blowing my mind over here. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I never I, expected to get this deep into it. It doesn't feel like that kind of a movie, but maybe it I, is. And and that's just it. Like I and I completely agree with you. And that's one of my, I guess, one of the things about this movie that kind of confounds me is like, is it supposed to be as? Because it feels like it's maybe deeper than you think it is, or should be deeper than you think it is but you have a hard time getting there. And I think if you want to seriously engage with the thing, you can probably come up with something like, I mean, this is just three friends talking and we've managed to kind of scratch a little deeper beyond the surface of this thing. Um, and, and most of that is just me being unwilling to engage with it as a comedy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but um, you know, that's just kind of where I'm, where I'm at um, with it. And so sure. just the things that I'm thinking through, I do want to talk Dietrich Bader for a little bit. And I want to talk specifically about his late nineties, early two thousands run. He is at this time, a regular cast member on the Drew Carey show, which runs, let me see if I can get the dates here from 1995 to 2004. So he's just finishing up on, on the Drew Carey show at that time in the early nineties or in the late nineties, 99, he is in office space as the next door neighbor, Lawrence, a a role not altogether dissimilar from that of Rex in this film. Uh, And then he just kind of shows up in these smaller roles. He does a lot of voiceover work around this time as well. Um, He's doing uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. He's doing a voice on uh, the Hercules direct-to-video sequel, uh, the Bartok direct-to-video Anastasia sequel. Um, and then he's, he plays the Miramax security guard in Jay and silent Bob strike back, which is again, another one of those, I'm going to show up for a few scenes in an indie movie and be one of the funniest things about the movie. Uh, cause that movie's not very funny. He is in 2002 in a movie that we will probably cover on this podcast one day, uh, a movie called the country bears about the, uh, Disney ride, the country bear jamboree back when Disney was like, Pirates of the Caribbean was a hit. What if we made movies about all of the rides in our theme parks? 
I mean, they're still doing that. They are. So Jungle Cruise later this year. <laughs> uh, so we've we've got that. And then he shows up here in Napoleon Dynamite in 2004. He's also in Eurotrip as a mugger in 2004. Like this, he just has this run where he literally just kind of shows up for like 20 minutes or less in a movie and just is one of the best parts of that movie. And so that's the Dietrich Bader I always remember. Um, obviously his his dumb as rocks character from the Drew Carey show and then just that miracle run in the late 90s early 2000s where he just pops up and stuff like going hey I'm Dietrich Bader I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna run your movie for a couple scenes is that all right cool cash the check baby and uh, that's the Dietrich Bader I love so there you go he's done a lot more voice work since then hasn't he he's yeah he's been pretty much a voice actor since then he's he does a lot of voice work in fact i think when he shows up it's mostly stunt casting anymore um that kind of seems to be the zone that he's in as an actor which i mean good for him cash the paycheck uh no actually you know what he has been on for uh years now and uh, it's kind of one of those things like it's a it's one of the the casualties of there being too much tv now uh, but he has been on a show called uh, American Housewife since 2016, where he plays the husband of the titular American Housewife. Um, he is, however, going to be in the upcoming Masters of the Universe cartoon, uh, playing Trapjaw, which is going to be great. Uh, he's on Big Hero 6, the series. Uh, he is on, speaking of episode potential future episodes of this podcast, Big Hero 6. He's on the... He's Batman on the HBO Harley Quinn show, which I've heard is very good. He has a recurring role on Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure, which is a TV show. He's on BoJack Horseman. Um, like he he is. He did a lot of voice work, had a recurring role on Veep, um, recurring role on American Dad. Like he was Booster Gold on Justice League Action. Like yeah, predominantly a voice actor. He's done a lot of voice work, it looks like. Um, so, and you know what? Again, good for him. Cash the paychecks. Uh, apparently also um, Madagascar, the Penguins of Madagascar. He's done a, a few of those TV shows as well. So has done, uh, did the Penguins of Madagascar from 2009 to 2015. Cash the paychecks, Dietrich Bader. Cash them. Hey, look, man, he gets a lot of work. And I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad for him. Uh, and then, of course, Tina Majorino, who I was introduced to as the little girl from Andre. Uh, and then she grew up to be Deb on uh, Napoleon Dynamite. But before or I guess later that same year, uh, she was also um, Mac on Veronica Mars, which is how I know her now best. So, yeah. There you go. She's also in uh, Kevin Costner's Waterworld. That debacle. Uh, yet another future episode i imagine potential um, potentially i'm not sure if that one had franchise ambitions or not i do know at the time it was uh one of the most notorious flops in history i kind of want to cover it just so we can cover another dennis hopper movie though i like covering dennis hopper movies <laughs> we've done two and it's been a while since we've done one so to find another dennis hopper movie to cover so maybe we just cover that one just to cover another dennis hopper movie i don't know but yeah I don't know, Sean. You got anything else that you need to say about uh, about Napoleon Dynamite? Well, I was thinking about your kind of conjecture about the deeper meaning potentially of the film, and a sequel could answer all of those questions. For instance, maybe the point is it doesn't matter how awkward your beginning; you can be 
anything later. Wouldn't it be interesting if Kip moved back to Detroit with LaFonda and now he's the CEO of some some kind of a jewelry company, okay? What if Pedro all of a sudden becomes like the mayor of Preston? Because at this point, you have so many years separated from the original film. And that's my, I guess that's kind of my my big question mark as to what a sequel would even be. Because at the time they're making this movie, these guys are in their like late 20s, early 30s playing high school students. And you can tell because anytime they have to share a scene with actual high school students, the actual high school students look like they're in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Like the scene at the bus where the kid asked Napoleon what he's going to do today. I am convinced that kid is like a freshman in high school, but he looks like he is 10. Because yeah. John Heater, who's supposed to be playing, I guess, like a sophomore or junior in high school, uh, uh-huh. is 26 years old when he's making this movie. <laughs> and that um, would be a a major, major hurdle to jump is how do you, if if you do, and they probably won't, but make a sequel to a film like this so many years later. Like, okay, you, you look at you look at the Incredibles and how long it took for the Incredibles two to come out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an animated film. You can, it's like the Simpsons, you know, Bart and Lisa have never ever grown up at all. And they still wear the same clothes and they never. So, will. yeah. Yeah. And so, but you can't really do that necessarily with, with, you know, Napoleon dynamite um, it, it, similar to the Lord of the Rings when the Hobbit came out, you know, Elijah Wood was so much older and you could, mm-hmm. you could tell the scenes that he was in. So what what would you do with Napoleon Dynamite? I think you could have Dev and Napoleon married, maybe still in Idaho. Maybe you could have Kip in Detroit with LaFonda at some high-rise office space, you know, no pun intended, way up high, managing some huge hedge fund or something, you know, where it's like, oh man, he actually, you know, and and Uncle Rico still running around in his van that's barely being held together, but he's still got his football. You know, I think it could be funny, and I, I think I think it has potential, and I think you could do it, but it would have to be really, really good. Like Kiefer Sutherland with Twenty Four, another one of my favorite shows, absolutely favorite shows. By the way, Uncle Rico is in season one or season two of Twenty Four with for just one episode. Um, he said, "I'm interested in Twenty Four if the story is right, if we can write it properly, because it's been so long since that series has ended." So, how do you do Napoleon Dynamite justice with respect to the awkwardness? Growing up 16, 17, 18 years later, probably 20 years later, by the time the film would be done and ready for consumption. How do you do it? There, there are two, there are two ways you do it. I think one is the way that you've mentioned. Uh, the other is to take what I call the wet, hot American summer approach, which that movie comes out in 2001 and they'd kind of been promising a, a sequel to that movie forever. Uh, so that movie comes out in 2001. It's like the first major movie of like Bradley Cooper. Um, like it's, it's Amy Poehler is in it. It's actually a really, the cast is incredible, but it's all like before they were stars kind of stuff. Um, Michael Ian Black, David Wayne, um, phenomenal cast, really good. Uh, so there is a line in wet hot American summer about, well, we all come back in 10 years. And so that was always kind of the conceit. Well, if we ever do bring them all back, they come back 10 years later. Uh, so instead what they do is they do a prequel uh, 14 years later, they do a prequel called wet hot American summer. First day of camp. Paul Rudd is in it. Um, they bring everybody back, but they just play their characters at the age they were in 2001. Um 
so the actors are all visibly older, uh, but they're playing characters the exact same age as the characters that they played uh, when they were almost 20 years younger. And then two years after that, they do another miniseries. Uh, oh, these are both on Netflix, by the way. Another miniseries called Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later, uh, where Bradley Cooper can't come back. So they recast him with uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec. Um, and it's it's kind of even more ridiculous as on the whole than, than the previous sequel. Um, so, I mean, there, there are some ways around it. There are some ways you can do it. I honestly, there, there is a part, a perverse part of me that would, uh, if a Napoleon Dynamite sequel gets made, that it's just those characters exactly the same age, um, <laughs> and just played by actors that are considerably older. Um, also another question is, do you factor in the events of the Napoleon Dynamite animated series, all six episodes of it? Yeah, I've never, I've never seen that. So I don't know what happens. I saw the first episode of it thinking maybe this will be the thing that gets me into Napoleon Dynamite. I have given Napoleon Dynamite so many tries. I really have. Um, and it's just, I just have come to the conclusion. It's just not my thing. Is that why you found the deeper meaning? Like you're trying so hard to I like am tr- it. That- Brett, I am trying so hard to like this movie because here's the thing. Like Sean is like one of my best friends. I've known Sean since, since his awkward middle school phase, honestly. And like, he's such a big fan of this movie. I'm like, I've got to be missing something. Like clearly all these people that I love and whose opinions I respect cannot be wrong. But I think, I think what it comes down to is just a matter of taste. Like I just, this is just not my flavor. So I think part of it, Stephen, is that you were profoundly popular in high school. Uh, Rethink that statement. (laughs) No, no, no. no. Remember my brother made a t-shirt that said, I know Stephen Foxworthy. And he would go out in public and people would say, I also know Stephen Foxworthy. People know who I am. That doesn't mean I'm popular. Because see, Um, everybody knows who Napoleon Dynamite is, but no one would call him popular. I would not call my, I would not have considered myself. I I was someone that people knew who I was. Most people tolerated my existence. Um, That's, I think that's kind of the nature of the thing. I'm, I'm charismatic enough, like not to annoy everybody I meet, but yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't, I would not call myself popular. Maybe you just didn't have a Napoleon dynamite phase in your life. I mean, maybe I didn't see now we're counseling. That's what yeah, this is. That's what, that's what this has evolved <laughs> into a counseling session. <laughs> All right, Dr. Crane, I'm listening. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, like I, I've tried, I've tried with this movie. I've tried with this franchise. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. However, uh, something I do want to point out is that in April uh you know what now that i look at this it was april 1st and so this is probably fake news awesome uh there was a a news piece written by a uh organization that said that there's a napoleon dynamite sequel coming out and i just realized it came out on april 1st and i look like an idiot good job steven (laughs) yeah i saw that too it's like a a trailer poster thingy and yeah, yeah no uh, so if they, but you know what, Sean, if they ever do make a sequel to Napoleon Dynamite, we'll have you on and we'll talk about it. Well, but before we do that, you and I are going to see it together. Oh, are we? Do I have to? Uh, yeah. Honestly, let's just all three of us go out and see it together. Deal. All right. Sure. We're all, we're all in the same city. We can do that. We can make that happen. Yep. Yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about the box office for Napoleon Dynamite. It opened on June 11th, 2004 in six theaters, and it opened at number 29, 
to one hundred and sixteen thousand dollars in its in its opening weekend. Uh, The top 10 at the box office that week were Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which currently doing a Harry Potter rewatch. And uh, I would say it's probably the best one. Um, I would agree. I've still got one more film and it's also got, you know, like a, like a really good director too. Like it's the only one of those with like a really incredible director. So uh, yeah. Uh, in second place, the reason we can't do uh pitch black, it's the Chronicles of Riddick uh, in third place, uh, Shrek two. So a lot of sequels, top three movies, all sequels. Uh, number four, not a sequel, but a franchise starter Garfield, the movie. In fifth place is a remake of the 70s horror film, the Frank Oz directed Nicole Kidman and Matthew Broderick starring the Stepford Wives. Bad movie. Maybe the worst Frank Oz movie. Uh, In sixth place is The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, Seven, Raising Helen. Eight is Troy. Remember Troy? Unfortunately. Yeah, same. Uh, In ninth place, Saved! With an exclamation point, because it's very exciting. Uh, and in number 10, Mean Girls. So the fact that we get saved Mean Girls and Napoleon Dynamite in the same year, there's something there. Uh, now, the movie doesn't open wide until September 17th. So three months later, the movie opens wide, has been gradually gaining steam. By the, by its 15th week, it's in a 1,000 theaters. It's grossed $33 million overall. And it earns $2.2 million in its 15th weekend because they it's it's an independent movie. Those things usually don't get wide releases. And this one, just through sheer word of mouth, which is a thing that does not exist for, for movies anymore, because usually if the studio doesn't think they're going to make money, they'll just dump them to a streaming service. Uh, that weekend, in first place, you have got uh, another potential future episode of this podcast sky captain and the world of tomorrow uh in second place mr 3000 in third place uh down from number one the week before resident evil colon apocalypse uh one of brett's all-time favorite movies <laughs> no no it isn't no, we, <laughs> no i hate that entire franchise what are you talking about i know i said it i said it facetiously i yeah, said no. it with, with a wink and a smile look man I like the video games, not the movies. I know. Uh, in fourth place, Wimbledon. Uh, what if there was Wimbledon? Uh, um, it's a Paul Bendy movie, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. I, I don't it think is. they were intended to start a franchise, but Paul Bettany is the the unheralded patron saint of this podcast, and we love him. Um, Paul Bettany, come on the show. We know you're listening, Paul Bettany. Please come on the show. We love you. <laughs> please. Uh, please. Uh, in fifth place that week is Cellular cell phone movie uh in sixth place without a paddle uh seven is jet lee's hero not to be confused with any of the other hero napoleon dynamite in eighth up from 10th place the week before uh collateral is uh the great michael mann movie collateral in uh ninth place and then the princess diaries 2 colon the royal engagement uh is uh is hanging out there in 10th place so there you go that is napoleon dynamite the movie grosses uh overall hang on i was gonna the, ask how high does napoleon dynamite eventually get not that is its peak uh, so okay, got it. that is its peak so it hits 44.5 million domestically 
uh, add another 1.5 million on for the international box office. And you're at about 46 million overall. Um, not by Hollywood standards, not a big money maker. by independent movie standards. It's a smash hit. <laughs> um, considering that John Heater got paid a thousand dollars to be Napoleon Dynamite. Wow. Yeah, um, that, that's that's a pretty big return on investment, I would imagine. Um, the movie has currently a 72% uh, tomatometer score uh, with the critic consensus, a charming, quirky, and often funny, often funny comedy. Not consistently funny, but often. Um, in the meta, it's got a meta score of 64 based on general, generally favorable reviews based on 36 critic reviews. And the letterboxed score is 3.6. Sean, if you had to give this movie a star rating out of five, how many stars would you give to Napoleon Dynamite? And you can so give my stars first, if you want. My personal opinion would be probably more like, well, probably in the 4.7 range. Uh, if I appreciate everyone's experience with the film overall, if I would, if you would ask me, what do you think the rating would be nationwide? I would say probably more like a 2.9, maybe a 3.3 because people like you kind of mess with my, uh, my well, rating. Don't, don't take me into consideration, man. You do you give us. So you said what? 4.7. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not something that I'm going to watch and rewatch every single day or month or, you know, even, even yearly, but it is funny and it is, it's reminiscent of middle school and high school and in different ways I can relate to the awkward people and the situations. And there, there are things about it that just really kind of, no, it's, 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 it's a warm and fuzzy film for me. Okay. Brett, what about you at a five? Uh, I imagine I'm going to fall in between the two of these. I'm at a 3.5. Uh, you're going to fall pretty much right in between us. Cause I'm at a 2.5 on this one. Um, just again, not, and that's that I feel like that's kind of generous of me. That's me kind of taking into consideration that I understand why other people like it. It's just not my thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I've, I've tried with this movie and I just can't with this movie. So again, if they ever do a sequel, I'll have to reckon with it again. But until then I probably won't see it for a while. (laughs) Um, until I decide, I don't know, maybe should I give that one a rewatch? Maybe I'll just listen to this episode instead of giving it a rewatch. I'll be like, oh, right. That's why I don't like that movie. Look, it'll be okay, man. You're allowed to not like it. It's okay. That's fine. Yeah, and that's fine. And like, I think this has been a very therapeutic process, me reckoning with why I don't like Napoleon Dynamite. Um, but hey, you know what? You might you might disagree. You might think Napoleon Dynamite's a great movie, uh, in which case you should probably reach out to us and let us know, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. But before we wrap up this episode, Sean, tell us about your work, man. Tell us about your music. Tell us about the EP3s. Where can we find your stuff? Go off, man. Tell us all about it. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for having me on today. It's been Thanks a... for being on, man. It's been great. Yeah, it's this is one of the films I enjoy watching and talking about. If you ever want to do an episode on... 24, which is not even close to the premise of your podcast, nope. um, you know, you, you let me know. Sure. Although, we, actually, we, you know what, you could. Uh, 24 Legacy, that was a dreadful attempt to reboot 24 without Kiefer Sutherland. So I have lots to say about that. Okay, so back Had they me. done it as a movie, it would absolutely be, a, it would be something that we would cover on this podcast, 100%. Yes. yes. Well, that still may be coming. Anyway. So again, thanks for having me. Uh, what do I do? 
during the day. Um, it depends on the day, but I am a songwriter, uh, uh, recording artist, music producer, and engineer. You can find my songs on Spotify or wherever you get your music under the artist name, the EP3s. There are 10 songs out by the EP3s, pop punkish music, I would call it, and two songs under the name Sean Rose. So look up those. I'd appreciate a stream or two or a purchase or two on the platforms that allow that. And yeah, as I alluded to, I'm also interested in clinical mental health counseling. I'm finishing up my book work for that ma- for my master's degree today. Today is the last day, actually. That's why I congratulated I him earlier. Let's just close that loop right assignment. now. Yes, yes. So my assignments are in. At this point, I just have my internships left to do. And then I will be able to help people who don't like Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, you've been trying to help me for years, man. That's fair. <laughs> kind of makes me wonder if I'm cut out. Uh, it's okay. I'm just, I'm just your obstinate friend. It's fine. Okay. You'll, you'll meet people that are much more willing to be helped than me. <laughs> I'm helpless. Let's hope so. But yeah, that's awesome. Sean, thanks so much for coming on. And we'll definitely link to your music in the show notes for this episode so that people can uh, find you. Are you on social media anywhere that you would like people to look for you? Or do you just not do that? Yeah, I do it a little bit. My brother has told me on multiple occasions that I need to revamp my social media presence entirely because he doesn't think it's very good. And that's probably true. So, but you can find me on Facebook under my name. Uh, The EP3s also has a Facebook page and Instagram. There's an EP3s page on Instagram as well. Nice. And we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to connect you with those pages also. Um, Sean, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a long time coming. We've been wanting to have you on since we started. Glad we're finally able to make it work. Glad you were. Honestly, we've been talking about this episode for a long time. You dropped it and then we're like, yeah, when are you good? I don't know. Probably till okay, cool. And then we had to reschedule you for something. And then you had work or like schoolwork you had to get in. So you rescheduled. So this is like our fifth attempt at trying to get you on the show, but we finally <laughs> did it. You're finally here. And this yeah. episode is going live very soon. So awesome. Well, Brett, nice to meet you. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Uh, so you can find this podcast uh, on the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Letterboxd, not Letterboxd, Instagram. I always include Letterboxd. Brett, should we just start a disenfranchised Letterboxd page? We probably should at this point. Okay. I keep bringing it up, so we might as well. Uh, we are at Pod on all of those platforms. Maybe Letterboxd by the time this this drops. Depends on how busy I get in the next couple of days. Um, you can, uh, send us an email at disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know if you agree or disagree with our Napoleon dynamite takes. Uh, let us know if you have a failed franchise starter, you want to see us cover all of that good stuff. Uh, shoot those emails over that way. Uh, and you might hear your email read right here on this very podcast. That is a thing that could potentially happen. Um, also what else do I need to say? Oh yeah. On your podcatcher of choice, be sure to give us a rating and review. Five stars would be really nice. Please and thank you. Uh, We sure would love to see it, especially if that podcatcher of choice is Apple Podcasts. Uh, Get us some more visibility. Help us find uh, some more listeners like yourselves. We sure would appreciate it. Uh, You can find me, Stephen Foxworthy, one of your hosts on uh, Letterboxd, Facebook, and not Facebook, Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram. (laughs) At Chewy Walrus. Uh, Brett, such as you exist on social media these days, where can we find you? It's easy for me because I don't have a whole lot of social media. I don't get it all confused. 
Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at GunslingerFire and on Instagram at sus underscore warlock. Awesome. Well, that is that is all we've got. We've actually recorded next week's episode, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, I'm just going to let you live in suspense and figure it out for yourselves. Uh, so until next time, when we're talking about another failed franchise starter, uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-host, Brett Wright, and my good friend, Sean Rose. This is pretty much the best podcast ever made. Gosh. 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 It's incredible. Thank you.